about democratic education in Denmark. Our group was really interested in learning about democratic education in Denmark. As students being from the United States, we have heard such great things about the democratic education system and hype of free education, the country having universal welfare, and the high rates of happiness and social trust. So when we were at Alarup, we asked Danish students their thought on their own democratic education experience, what they liked about it, and if there was anything that they thought was missing or room for improvement anywhere. And the biggest thing that Danish students had to say that they loved about their education was the fact that it was free. And if they choose to go on to a higher education past university, it, they actually get paid to go to school. The fact that their school had open communication and freedom of expression, not only through words, but through things like clothing, hairstyle, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, what we thought was really interesting is how many of the Danish students made remarks about how they learned a lot about other countries' governments rather than their own. And while this may seem like a positive thing, you know, having being able to have an international perspective, once we looked at the other side of what these students thought they were missing, we kind of saw the harmful effects of this. For example, many students said that they were taught a very brief overview of what democracy looked like in Denmark, but that it didn't go into political parties or ideologies as teachers didn't want to impose their own political views on students. And that really led them to seeing a brief and idealized version of what Danish democracy looks like without a knowledge of how to handle threats to democracy, what the flaws of the Danish democratic system are, the importance of being active in democracy. Many students noted the lack of a quote-unquote motivational push and involvement of youth, and mainly an, an emphasis on activism rather than true political involvement and engaging in political processes. So from our conversations with students and activists, we've learned that the democratic education system in Denmark is seemingly very easily to implement in an imagined homogenous population, but it is a very brief idealized version of what democracy is and looks like and missing the potential flaws and excluding a lot of people. From our outside conversations with Meritoff Nielsen and Nadira Parmani, whom our class met with, we learned about the gaps that really exist in a democratic education system. One of the first questions that we asked them was, what does democratic education look like in the Danish schools? Yeah, I'm smiling because we actually just shared a post on our Instagram profile about democratic <laughs> processes. Mm. Yeah, so if you want to speak a little bit to this, like democracy and what is kind of like a whole like Yes. Yes, because we speak a lot about democracy, mm -hmm. but when you when you when you dive deep inside the system, you find out it doesn't really exist because people don't really have rights. If you look at the uh, the treatment system, we all pay taxes, but not all minorities have the right to get a psychologist with uh, their own background who understand their culture and because they are excluded automatically. Uh, so on paper the they do have the right, but there is not a psychologist mm. yes. that has that background. Because they are consciously getting excluded. <laughs> um, and, and the same with, um, with our school system. 
that uh, we we speak a lot about democracy, but uh, let's say if we speak about geopolitical problems, then uh, it is only the Eurocentric perspective that are allowed to be expressed in the classroom. It's not like if my children uh, uh, ask questions about 9-11, uh, they are asked to, they, they are told that they are not mature enough, so they shouldn't ask these questions. But they are mature enough to listen to Eurocentric perspectives. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is how democracy works. Yeah. yeah, and I think also one of the things that we could like to speak just a little bit to, to the, the very like explicit discrimination we see in Denmark is, for example, in Copenhagen, you have 10% of the citizens living here, born and raised in Denmark, do not have citizenship. That means that they cannot participate. They are students or, or pupils in the elementary school, but they cannot, when they turn 18, they, are not, uh, they don't have the right to vote because they don't have citizenship. And because... In Denmark, so I know in the U.S., if you're born in the U.S., you get the citizenship. It's not like that in Denmark. So in Denmark, first of all, you have to be born in Denmark to get citizenship. So if, for example, parent, like if people both being Danish citizens get a child outside of Denmark, they still have to apply for the citizenship for that kid, right? Yeah, because it's outside of Denmark, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have a child in Denmark and one of the parents are not or both of the parents do not have Danish citizenship, again, the kid does not get Danish citizenship automatically, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are under 18, your parents need to apply for Danish citizenship and get it, and then you can apply for it as well, right? If you're under 18, you can get it if your parents get it. But so that whole process is, is very, very complicated. And we do have right-wing parties here that kind of like, and very like, um, strategically try to exclude uh, people from Muslim majority countries from getting data citizenship, right? So this is one way you can see uh, that this inequality plays out. So young people who were born here. So you can imagine how much stress they are uh, exposed to because they are not allowed to have the same right as the, as all the other uh, young people. Yeah, so there is that, that like discriminatory practice. And then when you speak to like a democratic education, I think in Denmark and, and generally in Scandinavian countries, we really like to kind of like embrace that whole notion about how democratic and how equal we are as a country. But it's also easy to be democratic and equal when everyone looks the same. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we see when it comes to diversity yes. here, we are very, very bad at including that. So if you look into the Danish law of the ground school, mm -hmm. the public ground school, you can see there is like this purpose statement there. It reads something like so you kind of like have different kind of like focus areas where the first one is that students in the Danish school should have in like solid knowledge of the Danish history and culture, and then they should have an awareness of other cultures. And we use this other, the term other in Danish, and we use it a lot. And while it's in Danish, it's basically just a word, it is an othering process, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't realize that because it's so implemented into the language, where I think if, if you read it in English, you will be like, whoa. Just like as when I mentioned the non-Western term, right? But in Denmark, it becomes so integrated into the language that we don't even think about what are the processes behind it. And we see that a lot in education, right? So we also have here, we don't have religion. In ground school, we have Christianity. 
that's what the subject is called, right? Mm -hmm. And in the reading plan, it says that one of the goals of this subject is to have pupils understand the values that are the driven factors for in societies in all part of the world, right? For cultures and societies in our part of the world. So again, it puts this very kind of like imaginary division between Western countries and any other country, right? We had the opportunity to speak with a psychologist named Nadera and she was the only immigrant that we were able to speak to out of all the places that we went to. And when we asked her how she would define democratic education, it really struck me that the only thing that she had to say was that democracy didn't actually exist. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting as her coming from an outside perspective, because most of the students we talked to were ethnically Danish to just be very straight up and say, well, no, the system really doesn't play out like you think it does. And there are minority groups who are being completely ignored and don't have the same rights as ethnic Danes. And that kind of conversation was really just a sharp difference from what I had anticipated coming into this experience and hearing things about Denmark. Yeah, there was such a stark contrast between a lot of the speeches that were made at the Democracy Festival praising Denmark and kind of shunning other countries for their approaches to democracy compared to from an immigrant's perspective of how she didn't even think that it was plausible or real within the country. Even further, she was talking about how there was a Danish politician from, and I searched it up afterwards, the party called a Hardline, which is a far-right po political group that their leader, Ramses Paladin, went to several different schools and burned the Quran in front of the schools, and no one did anything about it. People just really stood there and watched. He was quoted saying, the blood of the Muslims should stream in the streets. And it was shocking to hear for all of us. And with this, I also... At the Olerup Democracy Festival specifically, I spoke to someone in a different far-right group uh, named Morton, Ma I can't pronounce, Morton Night. I am definitely butchering that completely, but it's okay. He was part of a another the Danish Folk Party, which is a different far-right group. And basically, in the end, it was this idea of only Danes could really thrive in the society and everyone else is actually going to bring down society especially like muslim people and it was this big thing where morton even said like muslims are the only group that take instead of give and take that like shocked me completely and i definitely was angry and trying to see where he came from at the same time and trying to calm down my emotions through it all was hard but afterwards it was a good experience to have in terms of being able to talk to someone with completely different viewpoints, even though his viewpoints were completely xenophobic. Nonetheless, it was just interesting to hear different views of the Danish education system and how immigrants are integrated and how these people don't want them to be integrated, in fact, excluded from the Danish education system. What I thought was really interesting is how 
To be honest, if an event like this happened in the United States, I would not be surprised because mm -hmm. just of the frequency of hate speech and violent acts and all of this stuff. But it was really surprising to hear that this occurred in Denmark and more of that no one did anything about it and that there was this general sense of fear, not only by Muslims because they are so othered and ostracized and persecuted that they're afraid to stand up because of what they might the retaliation they might get, but also fear from the right wing of just these, the fact that if these people speak up, there could be a movement and there could be an uprising. And then there's an increase of diversity and then they'll have less power as they're having to include non-ethnic Danes and more immigrants and stuff into the system and actually treat them fairly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, one of the things that Nadera also said is that um, when we're confronted with racism, you need more than education. You also need courage, which in this case, there's um, there's both sides. There's like Muslims not being able to stand up for their rights because of the just the way that um, racism plays out in Denmark. But then also from the other side of people not standing up when they're seeing things, because even though people might be educated about racism existing it might not necessarily it's kind of taught in a way where racism is separate from Denmark like it doesn't happen here yeah and I think that what both of you are saying kind of plays into Nadera's original point that democracy doesn't exist because democracy is supposed to be governed by the will of the people but when a certain group of people are being silenced then democracy is limited only certain people can access it. And is it true democracy if only ethnic Danes or people who have citizenship are accessing that? I don't know. And I think especially when you're speaking about democratic education, just the fact that there is a lack of this taught in schools and that the culture here is really surrounded among individualism and you should be focused on yourself, but also that everyone is kind of the same and that there's just a lack of awareness and a lack of that taught in schools is also extremely undemocratic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's hard for them to put a lot of these things that they're barely taught about in general, but they can't really put anti-racist thoughts into practice just because there are so few non-ethnically like Dane people within these schools like we were talking with a few activists at Distortion at this um, one little booth that we had. And both of them, they came from completely different backgrounds. One was from the countryside, from a um, less wealthy area. And one was from a place a little closer to Copenhagen. And one, the one that, who was from the countryside had, it was just solely Danes. And the one from near Copenhagen, there was only one person of color. So there wasn't really a way to put that into practice mm -hmm. in any way. Yeah. And you see such stark differences in every in everything that all the places that we went to, everyone that we interviewed, there's so many contradictions. There were so many people saying, oh, I learned so much about democracy. They did a great job at teaching me about other cultures and having this perspective, being able to put my ignorance on display, all of those things. But then there's also a lot of people that said, you know, I didn't even learn about democracy. That's just not something I was taught about. And 
you kind of see that between like people in the countryside and then people in the city. And it made me think a lot about whether or not this education about democracy is really as widespread as it's portrayed. And also what is that education of democracy? Like, as you were saying earlier, like what democracy is and then um, with them saying that like democracy doesn't exist here truthfully, like what are we actually learning about democracy or what are people learning about democracy in Denmark? Yeah, and I feel like also I spoke to another politician at Alarep who is part of the alternative, uh, a left-wing party um, focused on sustainability. Her name was Francisca. She was the spokeswoman for the party. And she emphasized something that also some students talked to us about in terms of there being a lack of opportunity, empowerment, and education of these opportunities to make true, true social change in society. And it really just kind of showed in the whole thing. And talking to these students, they kind of emphasize that message. And she, Francisco, was also trying to emphasize how much we need to put into our energies, our resources into education and empowering our youth so they can make true social change in Danish society and democracy. Another question that we asked um, both Meta and Nadira was about how some minority groups such as LGBTQIA plus groups or things like that are not as othered as certain other groups or minority groups such as Muslims. And their answer truly opened, I think, all of our eyes. Yeah. I think it has something to do with the LGBT community or like being LGBT. You know, the politicians, that could be their kids, right? Mm -hmm. That could be their kids that probably are some of their kids, right? Mm -hmm. So they identify with that to a totally different level. Mm -hmm. They can wrap it like they can see themselves in people who live those lives, but they are very, I mean, sure that their kid will not convert to Islam or their kid will not be a refugee or their kid will not live with like black lived experiences, right? Mm -hmm. So there is this kind of like deviation. I really believe it has something to do with this, the whole mm -hmm. kind of like, again, politics. Vilifying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah? I think it also has something to do with capitalism. Because it, um, uh, uh, when you open boundaries, capitalism can use you. Mm -hmm. So uh, so every time you remove boundaries, if you open your sexuality, you open up things, mm -hmm. then they can use you as an industry. Mm -hmm. But if you close and you set boundaries, and uh, Muslim people, they have a lot of boundaries. They don't want their family split. They want to protect their kids. They want their uh, marriages protected from all these industries. Let, let's say porn industry, they, don't, they are against it. Mm -hmm. Let's say alcohol industry, they're against it. So they cannot earn money. LGBT, they drink. <laughs> And uh, and they and they have you know they have uh, uh, they are not a, th a threat economic threat, mm -hmm. but Muslims are an economic threat in many ways because in their everyday life they practice this anti-capitalist lifestyle. So this is a very good reason mm -hmm. why they are after Muslims. Oh, uh, overall uh, religious people, 
who uh, who practice their religion. Because it was just such a like a thought provoking response and one that I wasn't expecting. And I think I said that as soon as that mm -hmm. she was done saying it, because she went on about how, you know, unlike people of color and immigrants within Denmark, they are an economic threat. Whereas LGBTQ people aren't because you can profit off them. And you see this in so many ways. You see it in stores having pride collections. You see it in um, everyone putting a rainbow logo on something. But it's not easy to profit off of people of color in that same way. Because in a lot of instances, I think it would be distasteful mm -hmm. to do so. And it is distasteful a lot of the times with the LGBTQ community. But I think you would see a little bit more of a controversy behind it. Yeah, Sierra was mentioning how um, earlier about how there's a morality behind it and how cultural appropriation can really come into play when you're talking about racial groups versus other types of groups that are more identity-based. And there's that sort of distinction as well, I'd say. I thought it was really interesting how at first Meta mentioned that politicians, like they might have gay or lesbian or queer children, but they truly don't believe that their child is going to convert to Islam and how that, an immigrant. And that makes them extremely separate in those views. And then also, it's really fascinating to me how much capitalism truly affects democracy, like thinking about it in the United States with how elections are funded and how much money goes into that. But even thinking about certain groups and how much attention we give certain groups with in the world of capitalism and how much we can profit off of them and how Muslims are, you know, they have a lot of boundaries and they're very much more closed off people and anti-capitalists. So then it immediately makes them a threat to capitalism, which then in a result makes them a threat to democracy in certain people's eyes. Yeah, that's a really great point. And you also think about like statistically wise people of color and like immigrants who come to new countries like sometimes fall into that pool of people who um, are lower income. Mm -hmm. And that means more government assistance a lot of the times, which people are afraid of. Whereas like LGBTQ people, like you said, it could be like politicians, like sons and daughters. They could be from lines of generational wealth. like, And in that way, they're less of an economic threat as well. So there's not as much harm in the eyes of the people who fear this. Okay, so then we also got into uh, trying to ask um, Meta and Adira about how, what are ways that they think that the democratic education system can be improved? Like, what are things that not only individuals can do, but things that they're getting into where they think that they are actively going for change? And one thing that Nadira said is she thought it was really important to go outside the structures and stand on your own. But then with that, bringing in the fact that there's a lot of fear with these people who are constantly othered to be able to go outside and stand on their own because then they're ostracizing themselves. They're putting themselves on display of, yes, I'm different than you and all of these things. And then, then what's going to happen? So I thought it was interesting how Najir had that perspective versus Meta said, was talking about how important it was to work inside the system and how she's working within schools to try to like confront these challenges mm -hmm. i think that's like a really good example about like 
how activism can be mm -hmm. acted upon. You know, there's like different ways to do it, either from inside or outside the system. And talking to them and hearing both of their perspectives, like one being a teacher and then one being a psychologist who's also an immigrant from Afghanistan, I thought they were able to offer some really interesting perspectives about how, you know, rights are kind of a loose term mm -hmm. and, and how even though rights might be given on paper, they aren't always, you know, played out in practice. And you see that by um, freedom of speech, for example. We were talking earlier about how the person, the politician who burned the Quran and were saying all these things about Muslims, like that was their freedom of speech, but no one used their freedom of speech to counteract him. You know, why? Is, and it's probably, I'm assuming, because the people who want to stand up are in a socially vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. And that's a very fearful place to be. So it's like, how can they use their voice? Yeah, and I feel like from all the conversations we've had, there's a common theme of social complacency where people are very comfortable mm -hmm. with where they are. They see the rankings. They see that Denmark is so high up in education in so many other aspects of just government and all different things. But with that ranking, people are like, oh, okay, my country's so good. There's doesn't need to be too much change. My life specific, like individually, like we were talking about is good. Like I'm not seeing it affect me. So why do we need to keep fighting for certain things? And it can tie into a ton of different movements. Like when we were talking with the activists about um, climate change or with feminism, like they're ranked so highly in that, yet there still needs to be so much different change. Yeah. Um, and they need people to be fighting for it. But like other people were saying, um, young people here are not as involved in politics. Um, a lot of the politicians are still a lot older. And when you get young people, it's typically just like protests or things like that that were mentioned. And with that comes some change, but not the change that Denmark needs. And with that, it also showed by talking with them about how the Danish education system as well as Danish media really also kind of emphasized that complacency aspect of it, how this sort of Danish exceptionalism that students are taught and that this sort of internal exceptionalism sort of aspect of it is really brought over. So it's like, oh, we think that we're doing a good job, even though it's kind of also ignorant and leaving out the fact that there are so many immigrants and there are so many social problems happening in society. So we don't need to worry about this. So it also ties in that aspect as well. I think one of the most interesting things that they said when we were having this conversation about what what do we need to do to create change is that they mentioned that um, we need to make people with privilege understand that it's their job to create this change. And my favorite thing was that they said perhaps even more so than everyone else, as they are the ones who are not in this socially vulnerable positions. They are the ones yes. with privilege and, power. Yeah. and the they need power. to understand that it is their job to help these marginalized people who are literally living in their country and yes. that and i think like with that comes a lot of just acceptance like dita i'm not dita meta and nadira <laughs> talked a lot about how 
ethnic Danes need to be able to accept that people can choose different ways to live their life. Mm -hmm. And here where there's such a relatively homogenous population where everyone has very similar views, that it's okay for people to have other ones and that people in different societies have different worldviews and believe in different things and understand the word freedom in different words, which is inherent, inherently like, I feel like when I think of that, I think of freedom and democracy as being one and the same. But the fact that freedom doesn't always equal democracy for certain groups of people to just understand that that is a big difference that needs to be accepted. Yeah, and this big kind of underlying yet overlaying thing of social responsibility of whose responsibility is it to actually make this change or vie for this change. It really, talking to these two politicians, especially Francisca, I feel like where I disagreed with her at was her emphasizing and putting a little bit too much pressure on today's youth that it seemed like, oh, our youth is going to save us. Like, we're, we're not doing anything. Like, this is not our problem since it's not truly affecting us and, like, the youth want to do this. Like, it's up to them. It's and kind of, like, negating um, accountability. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, And also, at the same time, how the youth in schools are really not taught the importance of actually participating in political processes and are not really encouraged to like, yep, go be a citizen so you can register to vote, so you can vote in elections. And it's more of like, talk about what you care about, like type of mentalities. Yeah. And like, I was just going to say too, that like, it's, it's very like easy to say, I guess it, it's easy to just say, oh, the people who have privilege need to, they need to be the ones who stand up and fight for the change. And while that is true, confronting our privileges is hard it's a process and like where does that start in danish schools when we don't talk about social identity from the conversations we've had with people um the climate activists they said that we as um, american students were asking questions that the danish students the same age as yeah. us wouldn't be mm -hmm. asking because we were asking questions about intersectionality and identities and Diversity. They, diversity and they don't talk about those things in schools and if you don't talk about social identity then you're not able to understand and see your privilege then you're not able to combat these problems and i think that in the u.s we talk about it more but we still don't talk about it enough and if more people know about this then more people are able to do something about it yeah and i think that you what you just said like really like comes back to the like the overarching question of like why like why aren't we having these conversations about diversity what is so threatening about it we brought up capitalism we brought up that denmark is doing so well in all of these areas like feminism mm -hmm. and the climate and all of these things but that fear is coming from a place of losing that yeah. the differences are a threat of their standing, of this imagined homogeneity. So what do we do to make people less fearful of differences? How do we how do we encourage Danish people and all people all around the world to set aside those fears of what's different and open their arms to creating true democracy, true equality? How do we do that? It seemed like one big aspect of it no matter who I talked to, whether I agreed with everything they said or disagreed with everything they said or anywhere in between, 
was this aspect of community and making change within their own community can make such a big difference. But at the same time, if there is rules where parents could choose what schools they go to, they're going to choose the bubbles that they want their kids to be in. And a fair amount of time, it could be like ethnic Danes. They only want their children to be around instead of people from a diverse from diverse backgrounds. I think ending our conversation with um, Meta and Nadira was really interesting as they brought up this kind of idea of the effects that all of this is going to have and how when people are marginalized and marginalized and marginalized and put down, put down, put down, there's the idea of revenge that kind of comes with that. But then I also thought it was fascinating that after they had spent 45 minutes with us talking about all of the issues that exist in Denmark, that they were still able to come back and say, well, there's still a lot to praise and envy about our system. And like, yes, there are flaws, but when you compare it to other countries, like they do have relatively high standards. So I yes. feel like it's, it's really about finding the middle ground of we do these things really well, but we have to acknowledge that there are certain things that we need to improve on. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I think like in the U.S. too, like when we go back to the U.S., I think that's also something to remember is like there are a lot of policies that don't work well. Some kind of do. What are the things that we can do as individuals to actually create social change so people are more there's more equity and more equality in our democracy. Yes. And if I could like sum up this podcast in any kind of way, the main thing that I would bring up again is that quote from Nadera when she said, you know, racism is not just about ed education. It's about courage. And we talk so much in class about vulnerability and courage and how those are like pivotal in making social change. So I guess the one thing that we could advise Danish people to do, American people to do, or anyone across the world is just to have courage and keep learning.